This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. We are about to explore practical solutions and hear about how out-of-reach results are obtained. Welcome back. I'm your host, Amanda Laramie, for today's exciting behavioral health episode. Our guest today is Caitlin Boger. She's an LMSW and the Director of Integrated Care at Hunter Health. And you might recognize that organization. Um, In our last episode 13 called Validate Me, we featured Hunter's CEO, Amy Feimer, And in that episode, Amy really described Hunter Health's overall transformation effort. So if you haven't already done so, we suggest you go back, listen to that episode, because what we discussed there really dovetails nicely into the foundation of what Hunter Health set up to support their new model of integrated care. Today, we're going to hear Caitlin describe the difference between what most of us know as behavioral health versus this integrated care model. We'll also hear how it evolved over time, and most importantly, how Hunter Health is providing access to more patients who so badly need behavioral health services in their community. So let's hear from Caitlin. Thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us your name, your role, and where you work and what you do? Sure. I'm Caitlin. I'm the Director of Integrated Care at Hunter Health Clinic in Wichita, Kansas. Wichita is about 350,000 people. It's in the middle of the Midwest with quite a few small surrounding towns. So people come into our clinic from lots of different areas, but we technically only serve Cedric County, which consists of five different cities. Director of Integrated Care at our clinic in a lot of clinics is Director of Behavioral Health. However, what our staff do is a lot different. So A lot of times we see patients that traditional behavioral health hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. So that can be chronic diabetes, problem solving, that kind of intense meal planning or Mm -hmm. figuring out what's going on in someone's life that's making their A1C so high. Mm -hmm. So we changed the word to integrated care to encompass a lot of different holistic systems that a person has in order to appreciate that it might just be a behavior someone's having that's causing a problem. A mental health problem or a physical problem, and it might be more than that. Mm-hmm. And so, was so when you started this job, was that the title you came into, or you changed it when you started at a Hunter? My title has always been integrated care at Hunter. Okay. My predecessor was behavioral health, uh-huh. but this many of the staff that work. Um, with me. So the staff that I supervise were behavioral health consultants. Okay. They have changed to integrated care consultants to reflect that role. And so describe for me the model that existed in behavioral health, um, like when you started and then what were some of the problems you saw that instigated a change? So start at the beginning. Like what, what did you see? You said that this role is integrated care consultant because you see patients who aren't often seen. So how did this come to be? Sure. So when I first started at Hunter, the system that they had for behavioral health was pretty similar to most healthcare systems and the way they work. Um, If you come in and you identify with a behavioral health condition, 
a lot of places, Hunter, back before I started, and, and many other places in our town and around the country, you would be referred to the behavioral health person. Okay. Hunter was a step above that in some ways because they oh. employed their own behavioral health person. So that was nice because if a provider was particularly concerned about someone, they could go and find that behavioral health consultant. You know, she wasn't a consultant, but professional uh-huh. and talk to her about what was going on. But she did traditional therapy, which is about 50 minute sessions okay. once a week or every other week, sometimes a little less frequent, depending on what's going on. And she also saw quite a few patients that our providers didn't see regularly. So it was kind of separating the head from the rest of your entire body Okay. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of keeping it kind of more integrated. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in the county that I work in, we have a large community mental health center, which actually did the opposite of what a lot of the physical health places are doing, where they looked primarily only at behavioral health problems. So almost the opposite of what we do, which was just looking at physical health okay. as opposed to just looking at behavioral health. So when I first came in, she was seeing a couple patients a day, probably Mm -hmm. seven, eight, Mm -hmm. maybe. um, And many of them didn't see the primary care provider. So if they brought up a concern to her, physical, behavioral, anything like that, they would just get scheduled back in. And if a patient brought up a behavioral concern with the provider, they might get scheduled with her. Can I ask a question about that? So Mm -hmm. you said this person who was seeing patients 50 minute visits, seven to eight a day, just to clarify, they were doing this every day or just a couple days a week? They did this every day okay. until I started. She actually retired. Okay. So. And when the patient did have to go back and see a primary care provider, um, was that like the same day, the same week, or like weeks after that behavioral health visit? Typically at least a week or weeks after. So okay. a lot of the time appointments were so far pushed out mm-hmm. because we had such a demand mm-hmm. that it would, it might be three weeks before they brought up the fact that they were feeling depressed mm-hmm. and they, maybe the therapist thought, oh, well, maybe you should get assessed for a medication. And then they got in. So in that three week time frame, they identified, maybe you might need a medication, but it took three weeks before they got it. And then most depression medications and most most medications in the behavioral health realm actually take three to four weeks to get in your system. Mm. So when you're pushing an appointment out like that, three weeks, you're actually pushing a patient out at least six. Wow. Wow. And that, I imagine, is not unlike any other place who offers behavioral health in service within their walls. Like they don't have to refer out. And I know many places where the wait is even longer to right. get in for an appointment and to get even to get in for behavioral health. Was there a wait to get an appointment with your therapist at that time? Yes, usually. So okay. we would often say that she was available for crisis appointments. But when patients come in and identify they're in a crisis, they want an immediate solution or they're going to go somewhere else. We're right. actually located probably a block and a half away from one of the major ERs in town. So if you come in and you're in a behavioral health crisis and you have to wait an hour to see the therapist, even just to do a quick touch point, Mm -hmm. you're not going to wait an hour here. You're going to go next door to the ER. Even if you might be waiting more than an hour over there, at least you have some buy-in or ownership to go over there. Gotcha. Okay. So as I understand it, just to clarify, the problem was a wait to see primary care after you're seeing your therapist because that primary care provider is going to be the one to prescribe the medications, maybe antidepressants, anti-anxiety, et cetera. Okay. So then what'd you do? (laughs) 
So when I first started, we went through a lot of different systems to try and figure out what would work well. Okay. I came from strictly behavioral health, so I wasn't used to having the backup that I have here. Mm. So that was really cool mm -hmm. where I could see a patient and they could see the primary care provider or I could see a patient for the primary care provider. Mm. So we went and observed a lot of different models and then decided to try some on our own. The first thing we did was see patients that the providers had identified mm -hmm. for us to see. So a provider would come out of a room, they'd say, oh my gosh, you know, this lady's son got hit by a car and he's in the hospital and he's expected to live, but she just went through this whole trauma. Can you go talk to her? Mm -hmm. And then I would talk to her and find out all this different stuff. In the past, they might've just said, oh my gosh, that must be really upsetting. Here's a medication. Well, sometimes patients don't need a medication. I mean, right. I think if that happened to me, I'd probably be the same. That's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. So just having another person to kind of base that opinion on, see what's going on and help that patient with coping skills added to the ability to help manage what was going on in the patient's appointment and to help the patient feel better, which was really cool for us. And just to distinguish, this was all while they were here for an appointment they had pre-scheduled primary care. It wasn't them right. coming back to see you. Okay. Right. No. So yeah. So I would see them right after they saw the primary care provider. Then we started to realize that I would go see a patient and about 60 to 70% of the time that would result in us finding out some more information, a diagnosis that we didn't know about, mm -hmm. a concern. And it wasn't always mental health, but sometimes it was. Mm -hmm it would lead to another, a need for another prescription and the provider was having to go back in the room. Mm. So the MA rooms, the patient, the provider goes in the room, I go in the room and then the provider goes in the room again, which is just a big waste of time. Yeah. So then we moved to the model of me. And by that time we had another integrated care consultant, seeing them first, mm -hmm. working them up, seeing what's going on, physical and behavioral health, because even if I don't know what the answer is for their physical health problem, I can listen to it. I can understand why it's bothering them and mm -hmm. I can ask how it's affecting them. Mm -hmm. And at this stage in the evolution of your process, were you going in with a lot of the patients or with the ones the provider identified? Like, how are you deciding who to go in and see? Yeah, at that stage in the process, it was mostly the ones the providers were okay. identifying. So okay. it, we were so busy at that mm. point. It was just me and one integrated care consultant for all three of our locations. Wow. So we were just kind of running around. Uh -huh. And I'll be honest, I think what often happened in looking back is the loudest voice won. So we had a lot of providers who loved integrated care. Uh -huh. They thought it was the best thing ever. And I know for a fact I saw more of their patients than anyone else's. So it wasn't systemic in that way. Okay. And how long... Was there an average amount of time you were spending in the room or was it totally variable? It varied to some degree, especially if I knew them from seeing them the first time. But I okay. would say the first time we saw a patient, we'd probably see them for about 30 minutes. Okay. And then usually it would get a lot faster after that. So the, myself and the other integrated care consultant that I hired actually have a background in behavioral health crisis work. Mm. So that really helped us because we've seen a lot of emergency type things. Mm -hmm. And so it helps you kind of triage and not feel uncomfortable when people come in. So you've started running more of this integrated model. You went from seeing patients after the provider went in to sometimes seeing them before the provider went in. You could spend up to 30 minutes, but not always. Then what happened in the progression of your model? So as we started 
teaching our staff more and more about behavioral health and doing some more systemic things like asking the PHQ-2 to every single mm -hmm. patient that we saw, which mm -hmm. is the patient health questionnaire that identifies depression, asking the GAD-7, which is an anxiety disorder that helps identify anxiety. We allowed other staff to identify us. Uh -huh. And that really helped because the front desk may be the first person that really saw a person was struggling today. Mm. So this is staff from front desks, MAs, nurses, like anyone who interacted with a patient could identify someone you should see. Yes. And okay. usually those were extremely accurate. Huh. And I think there was a lot of pushback at first from the providers because they were worried we might not get to the other ones if we had all these identified people. Right. But we have this philosophy at Hunter, and I think it's kind of gone. It goes with our mission, and I think it's kind of just bled through everything we do. The worst thing that's going to happen if an integrated cons health consultant goes in there inappropriately is they met another person who told them that they care about how they feel and how they're doing today. Mm. So there is no potential for injury there. Right. And I think that's what was hard for people to understand at first was, oh, well, what if they aren't behavioral health and you send a behavioral health person in? Well, I have to go up front sometimes and say hi to a patient that's standing in line and help them figure out what to do. That doesn't mean they're behavioral health. Uh-huh. So yeah. I think that getting past that and part of that was changing our name to integrated care consultants really helped because I think everybody has something that an integrated care consultant could help with mm -hmm. if they really thought about it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I imagine this isn't just patients who are like you said on this other spectrum of being suicidal or struggling with depression or having anxiety. When you say could be with anything, I imagine some of the patients are have chronic care issues like patients right. with diabetes and you're helping blood with behavior pressure. change. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So for example, we went into dental one day, we go into dental and optometry, which oh. is really cool. I don't okay. think that's something a lot of people are doing yeah. and it's really neat because a lot of stuff, especially dental, I will say, and we have a lot of experience with that when dental is rough because a lot of insurance plans don't cover dental. So that can be really stressful when you're a patient with limited income. Mm -hmm. And it's also painful. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that mouth pain is more painful because the number of errors of nerves per spot is higher than anywhere on your body. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's kind of what uh -huh. I <laughs> understand. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. the pain level is so high. So we went in there once with a patient who had a really extremely high blood pressure who could not get his root canal done that day which was extremely stressful for him because he had paid, which he had saved for a long time oh, in order to be able to pay for yeah. that. His blood pressure was really high, so he was upset and frustrated. And he had taken time off of work, which was hard for him to get from what he mm. explained to us. So I, I think when we went in there and we were able to explain that to him, figure out what was going on with his blood pressure, and then move him over to the medical side to be seen by one of our providers to get him treatment for his blood pressure and to give him some coping skills for the anxiety that was underlying causing the blood pressure increase. It wasn't all of it, but it was definitely a piece of it. Mm -hmm. Really helped him. And when mm -hmm. he came back, he said, you know, it's so funny. People at work said I'm much more enjoyable to be around now and I've been less angry. Well, of course, your blood pressure is crazy high all the time and you're in tooth pain. Yeah. Maybe there is some behavioral aspect to that, but that's not a good day. That wouldn't be a good day in my life either. You know, if I come in, I'm expecting something to happen and something 180 happens and I also lost money at work. Mm -hmm. That's probably not a good day in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you just, I guess I'm trying to understand how if you're also interfacing with dental, 
how do you set that up? Is it a patient that you know is going to dental? Are you part of their huddles? Like describe for me how that works. So we integrated care consultants attend the huddles. Okay. But because there's one integrated care consultant and one nurse for every two providers. Okay. So we can't go to every huddle. So right. we've had to create an intensive triage system is kind of how I explain it, uh-huh. where patients get labeled with numbers based on their concerns. Initially, from what we expect, the number of course can change. So that guy I was just describing, he probably wouldn't have even been labeled an integrated care mm-hmm. patient on mm-hmm. face value because he looks like root canal, you know, payment uh-huh. plan or something like that. Right. But when he comes in and he's upset, that's when the front desk says, this is a level one patient. He's Mm. upset. He's yelling. He's frustrated. I need somebody. So the way that we manage that is through our MA. So we each have an MA who manages where we're going and what we're supposed to be doing. And Mm -hmm. so they come and they tell me, Hey, I need you to go see this patient. You don't have a patient for 20 minutes. I want you to be the one that goes to dental. So I rush over there and go see that patient. And is this an MA who's just assigned to work for you? When you say you have an MA, can you describe that? Yeah. No, we share MAs with a care team and okay. I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Okay. I know that maybe this is controversial because a lot of behavioral health staff like having their own people. When I first started working at Hunter, I had an assistant assigned to me. She had some other tasks like answering the phone and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It, it was impossible for her to track me down. Mm-hmm. And that was something she'd said to me all the time. She wasn't with me. She was in an office on her own. She would get my phone calls. She would come tell me. She would schedule things on my calendar it wasn't helpful, like having a person in the care team mm-hmm. to help me. Mm. So when we make decisions, we make them as a care team. And that really helps because the behavioral health consultant position, which is integrated care at our clinic, is a provider. I mm-hmm. mean, they're master's level mm-hmm. licensed staff. So mm-hmm. they're providers. The medical prescriber is a provider. So having two providers on a team just makes it stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we went through for a while, too of saying, you know, this is Hunter's model, because there are a lot of providers that really enjoy being the sole person running the show. I can't imagine that life anymore. You know, Uh I used to live it in behavioral health. I used Mm -hmm. to be the sole person making that decision of who goes to the hospital and who doesn't. And could I do it? You bet. Sure. Mm -hmm. It was fine. But is it the best thing for our patients? No. So Caitlin, this, I want to go back to the triage or prioritization system or risk assessment, however you describe that, the way you're kind of, I don't know, categorizing patients on a scale. Can you describe more of that briefly? Like, is it a scale of one to 10? And then what do the numbers mean? So it's on a scale of one to five. Okay. So we do that mostly in the huddle. So the nurse, so if, if I'm looking at my care team, which is Callie and Kelsey, Uh who are both physician's assistants, John is their their nurse, and I'm their integrated care person. So John goes to one huddle, and I go to the other huddle. While they're, we're huddling, we're moving those patients onto the integrated care schedule so we can track and see where I'm supposed to be during the day okay. and putting the numbers on them. So okay. a level one would be a patient who's at eminent risk to hurt themselves or mm. someone else. Okay. A brand new initial assessment, a patient that's coming in requesting behavioral health services. Got it. So they're basically a patient that we would not. So level one, the idea is do not allow this patient to leave the building without touching an integrated care consultant. Okay. And then level two has some smaller kind of adjustments like 
coming back to the clinic and they say their meds aren't working. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we think someone's going to be a level three in the huddle and they quickly move to a two when the Mm -hmm. MA rooms them. So it can be kind of fluid. Uh I would say about 85% of the time we guess the level pretty correctly. Okay. Because we get so used to the patients that we know about what it's going to be. Sometimes we overestimate the number. Like I would say more frequently we say, they're probably going to say their meds don't work. They said it last time. And Mm -hmm. then we go in there and RMA Stephanie comes out and she's like, oh no, they're great. And I'm like, oh good. (laughs) You know? Uh So that happens a lot. So level three would be diabetic concerns. So chronic care conditions where level threes hit more of the someone else could do this if we had to, but we'd rather have an ICC do it. So that would be like chronic care conditions, which high blood pressure, things that a provider, like a medication prescribing provider is completely qualified to do, but is that the best use of their time? No. Mm -hmm. And then level four are just quick check-ins. Level fives are patients that we've seen before that we'd like to see again, but they're not high priority. Okay. So if anybody's a level four or five and a different care team has a three or a two, I'm going to go see a patient from another care team. So the Mm -hmm. nurses coordinate that amongst themselves with the MAs. So the MAs will walkie, which the ICCs wear walkies, but we typically do not wear them when we're talking to patients. Sure. So they don't expect us to really respond to them. But sometimes, you know, I'm just sitting there doing my note. Uh-huh. Um, so they will call and say, I have a level two ICC. Is there an ICC available? This care team. And so then if I'm just sitting there, which happens sometimes, not mm-hmm. as frequently as always, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I can just say, yeah, I'm coming. And then I'll just walk by. Okay. And this so is... That- Sorry, yeah. go ahead. It's okay. No, I was just going to say that really helps us organize because I spent so much of my time running around trying to figure out where all of my team was supposed to be. Right. Which was almost a control thing in some ways. You know, it's like, uh-huh. where, who's supposed uh-huh. to be seeing who? What sure. are we supposed to be doing? And behavioral health really worries about deaths more so, I think, than uh, physical health from what I've observed. So that level of trying to make sure patients got managed was exhausting for me. So changing this has been, I mean, almost work and life changing for me. Yeah. So just to add up all the things that are different now, their patients are being seen by primary care, by integrated care consultants the same day. It's can be before the primary care provider goes in, which helps right. with time and prescribing meds. Um, you, you're, you're using this prioritization system, which says which patients are high priority for you to see. Right. Um, you're using walkie talkies and in terms of before and after, I mean, were you always sitting in proximity, like in co-location with the team before and after these changes? Not when I first started. No, I had my own office. This is always a funny story. I had my, I inherited my office and it was beautiful. It was a very big office, probably one of the best offices in the place because my predecessor saw patients in there. So I think it was supposed to be comfortable and nice. And the first thing that I saw was this large couch and couches are, I think, associated with behavioral health in a way, you know, like come in, get comfortable, tell me your problems, but that's not who we are as a clinic. It's not that I don't want to help you and it's not that I don't want to hear your problems, but I want to help you in a way that's conducive to the medical clinic. So I want to help you with your problems and help you problem solve what you can do to work on them. So we don't do 50 minute therapy like a lot of people do. There's a lot of that going on in the community, actually. And Mm -hmm. we have a lot of good coordinated care with the patients that we have that have those long term therapists. Mm -hmm. 
but for the most part, we don't want to do anything that the community is doing really well. Mm -hmm. So those things include long-term therapy. So it's a lot better for me to be available when you're having your medical appointment to help you problem solve what's going on, help figure out what meds need to work and what don't. Mm -hmm. And then also be able to come up with a plan for you to make this work for the next month. And so in terms of just to go back to where you're seeing patients, if you're not mm-hmm. seeing them in an office with a couch anymore, yeah, are you, you just seeing patients in the exam rooms before or after yes. the provider goes in? Yeah. Okay. And it's so much easier because I'm actually available to see the patient by myself in the exam room, uh-huh. which ours are a little more comfortable than some places. Okay. You know, they have a nice table. We have some rooms that have chairs. So it's not that they're completely against, you know, being a comfortable room. It's just a lot more sanitary and and easy to use. Because mm-hmm. before, if a patient was physically ill, they would cancel their therapy appointment because they didn't want to get their therapist sick. Now, if you're physically ill and you're depressed, we might as well just see you for both mm-hmm. things and try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's nice about seeing them in the exam rooms is I know where the provider that I'm working with is at all times. Yeah. So at one point I went and saw a patient who one of our MAs identified as kind of having a lot of issues with STDs. So they were coming to the clinic frequently Mm -hmm. for STD checks. So I went in and talked to that patient and we actually found out when they were getting manic, they were going out and having sex with people and getting STDs and not necessarily wanting to do that, but they weren't Mm -hmm. on any medications to help with that. There really isn't much you can do for a bipolar disorder with talking. There's mm-hmm. some coping skills and things like that, but you have to be on a mood stabilizer. Mm-hmm. So that was something that really went well for us. That patient came back and was like, nobody ever asked me, you know, if I uh-huh. wanted to get all these STDs or how I was feeling about it. And I think a lot of places think that people are ashamed of an STD, so they don't mm-hmm. want to go in and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but I also think it's important to help the patient figure out how to not let this happen again. Because as the provider said to me, and we were talking about it, if you continue to treat STDs over and over again, at some point they become resistant to some of the treatments. Mm-hmm. So that puts that patient in harm if we don't figure out what the behavior is. Right. We're actually working with some health centers right now who are like planning remodels and renovations and new buildings. And one of the things we're seeing and we're advising is to not design exam only rooms anymore to make them behavioral health, primary care, physical exam conducive. And we've seen some great models where like there's a little table that comes out from the wall in the room and there's a chair on either side and then there's an exam table so that if the visit is more like a talk visit, because let's face it, I mean, how many patients are definitely coming in for an exam now anyway? I mean, a lot of it is just talking with a provider. Yeah. And I think that's where we are too. You know, we see that most of the patients that are needing that table are OB or gyne. And yeah. so is that most of our patients? It's some of them for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. But is it most? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And you want to set up some comfortable way to either a chair across a table or just chairs next to each other. Right. Make sure you design exam rooms that way because this model you're describing seems to be more the future, especially because we're going to transition for a second to talk about payment because everyone who's listening to this wants to know like how you bill for this yeah. or if you bill for this. Yep. But for the future, when we move to a value-based payment system, yes, 
it's going to be largely about paying health centers to keep patients well, right. no matter what that means for their visit. And so right. this model seems to lend itself really well to that. What about now? What about how that works for you at Hunter now? Don't worry, there's more to the story and Caitlin does answer my question about reimbursement. But you're gonna have to tune in next week and don't worry, it's only next week, February 5th, to hear Caitlin answer this question as well as hear how the team dance steps are helping their integrated care consultants see patients more smoothly. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you'll get notified the moment the second part of this episode is live. And please don't forget to leave us a rating. It only takes two to three seconds to rate this podcast so that we can show up in more healthcare searches and reach more people who want to learn how to improve their services. Thanks to Caitlin for her interview with us and for being a rock star integrated care provider in Kansas. And to Jonathan at Bionic Squid for producing this episode. A special thanks to Ryan Jury, our host. Don't forget to tune in next week.